You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. Hey everybody, what's up? My name is Chris, and today I wanted to talk about something I wrote recently called Three Reasons I Don't Think We Are in the End Times Yet. It was intended to be as short as possible, explaining why I don't think that we're in the end times yet, and why I should say that, yes, you could probably make the argument that any time past the resurrection of Christ is the last days or something like that, but what I'm talking about is uh, proximity to the the last seven-year period. How close are we to that beginning and I would argue that we are minimum a decade or more out from that starting. I mean it could come together quickly. So number one, the ten kings slash kingdoms ruling much of, if not the entire world, must occur before the Antichrist's arrival on the world stage, Daniel seven twenty four. Daniel seven twenty four says, As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another, known as the Antichrist, shall arise after them. Another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and he shall put down three kings. So I think you have two timing things there, the former and he shall arise after them. Even the fact that he is not one of the ten, he's a different uh, horn altogether. But 724, in my opinion, is a pretty solid proof text. I think I'll just continue reading the rest of the first reason and then comment after that. The Antichrist is opposed to that ten-king system initially. He defeats three of the ten, Daniel 7, 8, 20, and 24, after which all ten pledge loyalty to the Antichrist, receiving royal authority, Revelation 17, 12, and 17 thus changing the system into a theocracy, Revelation 13, 12, and 15, which starts at the midpoint, Daniel 11, 36 through 40, Matthew 24, 15 through 22, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 12. Therefore, not only are we awaiting the establishment of the 10 kings slash kingdoms system, probably located around the Mediterranean Sea, Daniel 7, verse 3, we are also waiting for the Antichrist to conquer that yet future system. And while those events could take place quickly, it would seem reasonable to assume that a decade or more would be needed before even the first events could take place. I believe the premises are fairly self-explanatory with that one. If you understand that the Ten King system comes before the Antichrist and that the Antichrist is opposed to that system upon his arrival and we need a conflict with them, three of them, and the subsequent turning over of that system, all of those things require a lot of stuff to happen beforehand. I honestly believe that the first thing that will that anybody will be able to tell anything is happening related to the end times is the formation of the Ten Kings, which is, as far as I can tell, probably the only thing that we'd ever be able to notice before the seven-year period began. I couldn't resist mentioning the that they were probably located around the Mediterranean, what I've sometimes called my pet theory, and I did post my little infographic, which shows the progression of the seven-headed beast empires throughout history, starting with the Egyptian Empire, to the Assyrian, to the Babylonian, to the Persian, to the Greeks, to the Roman Empire, and how 
each empire progressively ate more of the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, I, I cite Daniel 7.3, which says explicitly that these beasts come out of the Great Sea, a term referring to the Mediterranean Sea. And I think some of the language there in Daniel 7 about how it conquers the remainder and these kinds of things, and why there is this sort of odd connection to the Roman Empire is because the Roman Empire was the only system that controlled Israel like that, a world empire that controlled the entire Mediterranean Sea. So it's sort of a rebirth of that in that in that sense. I suppose there were a few other reasons I decided to include this Mediterranean Sea graphic in the, uh, at least in the post at my website, is that uh, number one, a lot of people have a lot of theories about what the kings and kingdoms are in Revelation, and they're all over the board, even some pretty normal uh, conservative teachers and scholars and such. But most people will, at least when, by the time they get to Revelation 17 and 18, understand that the five that have fallen have were empires of some kind. And if you believe that that, in the five that have fallen, are on the head of the beast, etc., etc., then you can understand that in Revelation 17, that same seven-headed, ten-horned beast is the same one in Revelation 13. And I would argue strongly that it must be connected with Daniel 7 as well, and of course Daniel 2. And so here we are with a pretty consistent message that is about empires. I know a lot of people want to split up the kings and kingdoms, but I don't think that you can. I think they have to be both kings and kingdoms uh, is the only way that it seems to work without any contradictions. But uh, in any in any case, my the other reason is because by showing that there was this progression of uh, empires that were singled out by God, uh, it also, I think, helps with the second point, which is that these empires had something in common, namely that they ruled Israel. So let's move on to that point. Reason number two, Israel is currently not ruled by a world empire. If you believe that the first six heads of the dragon, Revelation 13, 1 through 4, Revelation 17, 3, 7, and 9 through 11, are a picture of Egypt, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, as many conservative scholars do, then the seventh and final head of the beast, the one with the ten kings, will need to rule over Israel, because ruling over Israel is arguably the one thing a head of the beast must do, typologically speaking. Ruling Israel is the thing that connects the other six empires in history, which is almost certainly why they are singled out from other satanically inspired kingdoms. Daniel 2, 7, Revelation 17, 10 through 11. Therefore, since the ten king system is a precursor to the Antichrist, Daniel 7, 24, it means that Israel will need to be ruled over by the ten king system significantly before the Antichrist first comes on the scene. And since Israel is currently a sovereign nation, many events will need to take place before these events can occur. So I'm actually kind of proud of this argument. Uh, this is what sort of inspired me to, to bring this in just a three-reason thing, because I originally had planned on talking a lot about how the dry bones prophecy in Ezekiel 37 is has to be a, in a millennial context, and that's to, to apply it to the Jews back in the land, as how Lindsay, I think, popularized that book, The Late Great planet of the earth was literally the most popular book in the 1970s and it really truly affected a lot of what people think about uh, a bible prophecy these days or at least the older generation and one of the main probably the main thesis that Hal Lindsey had was that 1948 was the beginning of everything and he equated it to the Ezekiel 37 prophecy he's he's the guy who'd made that whole thing happen i think that i contributed a lot to this question of 
does the dry bones prophecy in Ezekiel 37 actually mean what I thought it meant before I did that study uh, a few months ago? And that study is, you can find it on my YouTube channel or just uh, my website, Bible Prophecy Talk, during a Gog Magog series. I did, uh, what was it, like four or five hours on Gog Magog, individual sections over a week. And this section was called uh, Context, the Gog Magog War series Context, in which I went over not just Ezekiel 37, but the 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 chapters before that, which are a part of this series of night visions given to Ezekiel after Jerusalem falls, in which uh, case there are extreme patterns and all this. I'm getting off the subject here, but one of the things that I believe this is a, a big deal for anybody that knows is it, it would make their head explode because their argument is that Israel is back in the land and they cannot lose it because that's a logical consequence of if you believe that Ezekiel 37 is is a picture of Ezekiel or Israel getting the land uh, back. In other words, that Israel in 1948 is a prophetic event that now is inscribed in, in Ezekiel 37. My main point here is that if you believed that Hal Lindsey version, then Israel cannot lose the land because that's an explicit part of the promises of those night visions is that once the Messiah is ruling Israel, that's kind of the point of the Gog Magog War actually, is that uh, look, when the Messiah is ruling you, Remember, the, the, these visions were given to them while the day that Jerusalem had fell to Nebuchadnezzar. So it was a pretty big deal. Hey, Jerusalem had just fallen. These prophecies had been given that same day that, look, yes, it's bad now, but one day there will be a Messiah. And when he is there, nobody's going to be able to get you. Satan himself is going to try to destroy you and he's going to get utterly smashed. I mean, that is the, 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 the level of promise to you that once the Messiah comes, no one will be able to touch you. And here is an explicit picture, which we are again told by John again in Revelation 20, uh, but that's another story. But I love this way to argue this because it sort of, it, it, it stumps, I think, a lot of people because they've never really thought through what the connection point is with the other empires, the five of fallen one is, or the seven heads of the beast, or the, however they're, they're thinking of that. Again, this is mostly a pretty understood thing that these empire systems, and some people choose different empires and all this other thing, but they are empires, and almost everybody has the same ones. The revived version, I think, gets a little bit uh, different. I mean, you have your Islamic Antichrist people that have other ideas there and, and different things. But I would say that of those... Uh, empires that, you know, the five have fallen empires, they all had one thing in common, which is the conquest of Israel. I think that it, to, to argue against it, a paper really needs to be written on this, because if you can prove that, which I think that you can, um, also, I, I need to say here that um, some people will point to empires that existed after 70 AD, notably the Islamic Empire. And they say, well, it was an Islamic Empire controlled that area around Israel too. And that's different. I would say it, it's qualitatively different to control the area where Israel used to be. But it wasn't an empire. It wasn't a nation. There was no nation of Israel that was being ruled by another empire. That was the pattern seen before 70 AD. And I think that's why, in fact, Daniel 9 makes that distinction. I, I made uh, the point that Daniel 9, which is the, uh, the uh, uh, 70 weeks prophecy, it's kind of all about temples. I've called it uh, Daniel 9, the story of uh, four temples, three down, two to go, or how two down, two to go, or something like that. And it really seems to start and stop with the formation of those temples. You know, this this gap between the the first uh, uh, weeks and that final seven week period, I think, are a gap of temples existing. 
you don't need to take the temple out of the equation. We're just talking about Israel existing as a nation and then being ruled over by an empire. And I think that there's this uh, uh, being ruled, the, the, the scepter, you know, during the Roman times, Israel didn't really have the scepter, the scepter being sort of a picture of their ability of sovereignty, able to make decisions about their own destiny and who and who not to execute. They did not have that power, for example, in these other time periods, which are the only other time periods that were, they were controlled like that. So I think the strength of the argument is that the other previous heads of the beast are chiefly, I mean, if not entirely, based on who controlled Israel. Like, you have to have only five, and there can only be only five, and you can't make any others up because it only happened five times. And the language that shows that those are empires, one is, and all this other stuff. So, th 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 this is a really interesting thing because if that's true, if that premise is true, which I admit probably needs to be uh, argued uh, and hashed out with people who care and don't have a lot of access to grind on the issue or whatever, or maybe if they do, I guess those, those would be the people that would be most likely in, uh, to, to argue such a thing. But if you could prove that, then you could prove that the we are not in the end times unless um, Israel is controlled by this empire. The third and final reason, I don't think that we are in the end times yet. Reason number three, contrary to popular belief, the birth pains have not yet begun. The birth pains in Matthew 24, 4 through 8, false Christs, wars, famines, earthquakes, as well as the other events in Matthew 24, such as martyrdom, verse 9, 20 through 21 through 22, Celestial disturbances in the sun, moon, and stars, verse 29, and the resurrection, verse 30 through 31, seem to be mirrored in the opening of the seals in Revelation 6 through 7. The Antichrist, verses 1 through 2, wars, 3 through 4, famine, 5 through 6, martyrdom, 7 through 11, celestial disturbances, disturbances, 12 through 17, and resurrection in 7, 9 through 17 all of which seem to line up with the signs that announced the start of the day of the Lord in the Old Testament, Joel 2.31. If this is the correct interpretation, then the birth pains cannot have been occurring already as many evangelicals teach, but instead the birth pains are prophecies of specific events which will occur over a very short time period, probably starting at the beginning of the seven-year period with the strengthening of the covenant and the starting of the daily sacrifices, Daniel 9.27. This will be directly followed by the Antichrist's wars of conquest, Daniel 11.40-12.1, uh, Revelation 6.3-4, Matthew 24.6-7. Therefore, the main argument used by those attempting to prove that we are in the end times, the, that the birth pains are occurring now, is a bad and even dangerous interpretation. Because if you believe that the first stage of the Ten King system is the Antichrist's system, when it isn't, it may be evil, but it will not be ruled by the Antichrist until just before the midpoint, then you would be more likely to cheer the Antichrist as he appears to liberate the world, including Israel, from that evil system. First, a little bit of backstory here. If you asked more of the scholarly type person if we were in the end times, and that person believed that we were in the end times, they would be mo more likely to talk about the birth pain. So like your John Walford types, they would say that, and there's a lot of disagreement about when these birth pains have been happening over the course of the last years, but a 
you know, most of them will say that they have been occurring over many years. So, for example, some people will say that the birth pangs have been occurring over the last 2,000 years since essentially the resurrection or the new covenant or, or whatever. Some will say that the birth pains only started maybe when Israel became a nation or something like that. But they want to make the birth pains something that are going on right now. So that's how they feel it's okay to answer the question, are we in the end times? They say yes, because haven't you seen the earthquakes? Haven't you seen the famines? What about World War II or different things? Again, those, those birth pains. Um, but if those birth pains are specific prophecies that begin almost certainly, I think that the first seal, the Antichrist and the, and the rider on the horse is, is probably located right at the beginning of the uh, uh, 70th week of Daniel. In other words, if, if Matthew 24 is parallel to Revelation 6 and 7, then you don't get to have the birth pangs have been occurring over the last decades or thousands of years or whatever you believe before that. You can't have it both ways. And so it's a study I highly encourage you to do. Uh, even uh, people that like uh, have reasons not to believe this, believe it. I'm thinking of John MacArthur, who holds that there is that this parallel exists between Matthew 24 and Revelation 6 and 7, and yet that causes him all kinds of problems with uh, stuff, other stuff that he believes, but he's willing to deal with the fallout because the strength of this parallel is so strong. So it really does come down to you need to do this study because you can't have the birth pangs or your reason that we're in the end times if this parallel exists. Uh, anyway, I think that's it for me. One of the main points I wanted to say here is that, look, this I made this text to copy and to think through. I, I want people to think about this question. Are we in the end times? And to think Think more about it. Think about it. What does the Bible say about it? Let's let's have discussions and thoughts with the people that, that in our churches or whatever about the actual issues. All right. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. 